welcome to another episode of the Nuclear Medicine Molecular Medicine Podcast. And this is um, coming from the virtual uh, meeting of the Society of Nuclear Medicine 2020, um, not at New Orleans. Um, in fact, uh, uh, it's virtual. So we've got uh, somebody from Cologne and someone from Melbourne um, across on the opposite sides of the earth, uh, which makes it interesting in terms of organising time zones for these things. But that's the way things are done these days. So um, we're, um, uh, we're talking to um, uh, Dr. Honig. Um, I'm sorry if I pronounced your name wrong, uh, but uh, uh, you, you can correct it in a second. But, uh, and uh, she uh, gave a great um, uh, uh, award presentation uh, for a young investigator um, in the brain session on super ages and, and, and what that meant and, and how that worked. But more importantly, and very excitedly, and congratulations, she's won the Image of the Year, the Nuclear Medicine Image of the Year Society. And it is the most prestigious prize that everybody wants. And <laughs> I, I could be wrong, but I think you're definitely the youngest person to have ever won uh, the Image of the Year. And, um, and for such a deserved uh, topic, I think it's fantastic. It's a, it's a, a great thing. Um, so perhaps we could start, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and and a little bit about where you work. Yeah. Hi, so I'm Merle Hoenig. This is the pronunciation of my name. <laughs> uh, you did well already. Uh, I work at the Institute of uh, nuclear, Me and nuclear Medicine at the Department of, uh, uh, sorry, I work <laughs> at the Department of Nuclear Medicine at the University Hospital of Cologne, as well as the Research Center in Ulich. And I studied cognitive science as well as neuropsychology and then followed up with a PhD at the Department of Nuclear Medicine. Uh, my supervisor was Professor Jeska, uh, Alexander Jeska, and uh, we worked on cognitive reserve and Alzheimer's disease patients. And uh, yeah, from there we went on uh, looking at super ages, um, which brought us to, yeah, to the study I, I presented at the SNMI conference this year. And I'm very delighted about uh, yeah being nominated or awarded with this uh, prestigious prize. Yeah, <laughs> it's fantastic. And and um, I mean, super ages are. I think we spend a lot of time looking at people that are unwell in terms of dealing with diseases. But actually, I think a lot of the clues, particularly when we're trying to prevent diseases, is to look at what's and in Alzheimer's disease, which most of us will get if we live old enough, I guess. Um, uh, uh, what we really want to look at is the people who aren't going to get it because that gives us a lot more information. And, you know, there's been a recent FDA announcement, uh, FDA filing for aducanumab, um, which was a, a therapy for, uh, is a therapy for, for uh, Alzheimer's disease and, and antibody that removes amyloid. And, and they, uh, they, they looked at super ages, didn't they, to get their antibody. And that antibody was removed from uh, people who were resistant to getting Alzheimer's disease. So I think looking at super ages, I think, has got, is a really fruitful way to, to maybe not only just look at Alzheimer's disease, but other diseases as well. What do you think? I totally agree with you. So from, for many, many years, we're now looking for the cure of Alzheimer's disease, but we still haven't found it yet. But... Um, just looking at individuals who don't get a disease, not even not not just Alzheimer's disease, but also not Parkinson's disease or um, other sorts of dementia, might actually give us a clue what um, what is uh, yeah 
what promotes successful aging, right? Maybe we can identify certain genes that are associated with successful aging, or maybe certain epigenetics um, might uh, explain that phenomenon, or even lifestyle factors that contribute to a successful aging process. And once we have identified certain pathways, we can use these pathways potentially to treat um, aging-associated diseases such as Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson's or other forms of dementia. Right. So, so, so how did you go about looking at super what, uh, uh, um, what groups did you start with? What groups of people did you start with? Yeah, so first of all, we thought, well, we need a group of very old individuals, so over the age of 80 years. And then we thought of uh, the ATNI database, so the Alzheimer's Neuroimaging database, because we knew there are a lot of individuals who are above the age of 80. And then uh, yeah, we followed up and uh, had a look how many of these individuals do have an amyloid and tau PET scan, and how many individuals actually performed above average or above average over a four-year period of time. And then we ended up with 25 individuals who showed an above average cognitive performance over a four-year period of time for whom we also had amyloid and tau PET scans available. And then we compared these individuals to normal ages and MCI patients. Right. And what were the characteristics of these people? Were they, did they, uh, for things like um, APOE as well in terms of genetic factors, was there any difference in those groups? Uh, we didn't see a significant difference. However, we saw a somehow lower frequency of APOE4 in the super ager group, but it was not significantly different from the normal ager group. Okay. But what we observed was that the super ages showed a lower polygenic risk score in comparison to the MCI and uh, normal ages. Okay. What did the polygenic risk score consist of? Uh, APOE and other genetic risk factors uh, that have been identified previously. So this is a summary score of, I believe, 35 uh, genetic risk uh, genes. Um, yeah. And then you can use this score um, yeah, to identify the level of uh, genetic risk. Okay. So how, how, did you what, how did you measure the tau and amyloid in these people? So we first performed a voxel-wise whole brain comparison um, using SPM. And then we also followed up with a region of interest analysis looking at five meta regions. Uh, so the hippocampus, precuneus, occipital region, frontal region, and uh, what was the fifth one? I forgot. <laughs> so five regions that we compared it okay. uh, yeah. Yeah, across these groups. Right. Oh, and importantly, I forgot to say that we also included a group of younger healthy controls that were amyloid negative and around the age of 60. So we compared the super ages to this younger healthy control group in order to have like a reference. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, um, uh, so, um, so what did you find? What did you, what did you find in these, uh, in these uh, three different groups? Yeah. Shall I share the screen so I can Go see? What... <laughs> Let's see if I can do that. Uh, share screen. Uh, yeah. uh, oh, you should yep. be able to Coming see up. the image. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So what you can see, and it's, I guess, pretty obvious that the super ages didn't show any tau pathology when compared to the younger healthy controls, and also only very small clusters in terms of amyloid pathology 
However, when we looked at the normal ages, we did see a tau pathology pattern that resembled the MCI patients when compared to the younger controls. However, um, the precunus uh, seems to be spared in the normal ages uh, when compared to the MCI patients in terms of tau pathology. And also the normal ages didn't show much more amyloid pathology when compared to the uh, younger healthy control group. And in the MCI patients, we did observe the common pattern of um, tau pathology and amyloid pathology. Right. What do what traces did you use for your tau and your amyloid? Uh, we used AV1451 for the tau pathology measurement and AV45 for amyloid pathology. Okay. So do you think the off-target bonding a little in 1451 might have had some effect there? Yeah, uh, especially when we looked at the region of uh, interest analysis, we didn't see any significant difference in terms of tau pathology in the hippocampus, and that we believe that is probably due to the off-target binding to the core plexus um, uh, of AB1451. Okay. And this may explain oh yeah, that we didn't see any significant differences in the hippocampus. We probably should have looked at the enterorhinal cortex instead. Right, right, right. So, so what does this tell us? What does this tell us? Yeah, overall that the superages seem to resist them to both amyloid and tau pathology and uh, it's probably the resistance towards tau pathology that allows them to maintain um, their cognitive performance at such a high level. Because when we look at the normal ages, we do see tau pathology and we know they will decline eventually over time in their cognitive performance. So, um, but they were also amyloid negative in our case. So it's potentially tau pathology that drives the cognitive decline that we see also in normal aging. Um, and yeah, and the maintenance of cognitive function in successful aging due to the absence of tau pathology. Okay, so so what does this this tell us in terms of in terms of potential therapies? There's been lots of talk about how really amyloid and tau are not important, or at least amyloid's not important, but perhaps they are still important, and perhaps they really do have uh, have a role to play in terms of in terms of these pathology, and there's been increasingly numbers of anti-tau therapies and anti-tau studies being done as well. Do you, do you think that we still need to investigate amyloid and tau, I think? Of course we do need to investigate also the synergistic effects of both amyloid and tau, because we see in MCI, once uh, both are present, amyloid and tau, the, the cognitive decline is uh, far more rapid uh, compared to when individuals are only amyloid positive. Uh, yet, um, but on the other hand, I believe when we identify these uh, individuals who are resistant to amyloid and tau pathology, we again can look at other factors such as yeah genetics or maybe lifestyle factors that promote uh, the resistance towards tau and amyloid. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, we cannot uh, look at TDP43 yet or alpha synuclein. That would be great to investigate as well whether these superages are also resistant to other proteinopathies. Um, despite amyloid and tau. Right, and, and particularly, as you did show, some um, uh, lack of tau change and, and tau opathies are, are present in, in other diseases other than Alzheimer's disease in terms of, sure. in terms yeah. of wrinkle and dementia. Yeah, so that would be interesting to know. Maybe one day we have the perfect tracer or more tracers to look at. Uh, yeah, also TDP43 and alpha-synuclein in, in these individuals. Right, right, right. And I guess the other thing is is that there, there can be multiple causes to tau accumulation. There can be multiple causes to amyloid accumulation. Um, there probably are. 
So, mm. um, um, or, um, or multiple, not so much causes, but uh, multiple things that, healthy things that people can do to improve their amyloid clearance or tau clearance, right? Mm -hmm. That's true. Um, this was also an important factor in our study. We matched uh, our groups according to the level of education, because usually uh, super agers are also more or highly educated. But in our um, yeah, study, we wanted to have like a similar level of education in order to rule out any effects of so-called cognitive reserve. Right. Which I haven't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, certainly factors like education or nutrition or physical exercise will play a crucial role in yeah, uh, yeah, in the successful aging trajectory. Well, yes, yeah, so we'd all like to successfully age. I mean, whether it's um, Nelson Mandela or uh, or um, the Queen, <laughs> Queen, Queen Elizabeth. Um, um, we, there, there, there's been many people who's uh, functioned very well into their old age. If, and and they're they're clearly super aging and and uh, and they've also got the benefit experience on their side. I'm not young myself, so I'd like to hope that uh, hope that we could all be super agers. I think that would be great. And if it if it's a matter of making sure these pathologies don't uh, don't appear, then then uh, then that's that's got to improve the quality of life, not just the quantity, right? Sure, and maybe yeah we can look at successful aging in two different ways. On one hand, we can look at the resistance towards these uh, proteinopathies, but we can also look at the resilience towards uh, these proteinopathies, which means that you can have amyloid and tau in your, in your brain, but you still manage to um, maintain your cognitive, cognitive function. And this is what we call resilience towards these uh, proteinopathies. So, um, I think this was a study which was published last year in Brain, where this showed that individuals who were amyloid positive but had a high FDG uh, metabolism in the anterior cingulate cortex, nevertheless managed to maintain their cognitive function, even though they were 80 years or older. So this means maybe you can also have a resilient signature in your brain, despite having amyloid or tau in your brain. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to increase our numbers so that we can, uh, in, in our research studies, so that we can figure out what what factors are important and what aren't. And we should yeah. encourage our um, parents or grandparents to get involved in these things, I guess. Definitely, yeah. My mum is a volunteer, uh, one of the healthy controls oh. uh, <laughs> in her 80s. Um, and so uh, she's still working. So I guess she might be qualified as a super ager. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, That's impressive, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's certainly not highly educated, but she's a lovely person. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> and as long as she's cognitively uh, intact and uh, still functioning, yeah, I, I guess. It certainly she's hasn't got any worse over the years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah, yeah. I, but I, I, I think we should encourage listeners to the podcast to to, to enrol and, and, and help us out with our research. I think one of the, the key factors to successful research is volunteers to take part in these things, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And we are currently setting up a study where we want to look at super ages and uh, do um, pet imaging as well. But Absolutely. it's not that easy to, yeah, not that easy to recruit these individuals. Although I think once we found them, uh, they will participate for sure. Well, the publicity you've got from this study, which is looking at super ages, may help us recruit people into super-aging studies and maybe ultra-super-agers. I mean, yeah. I mean, there are people in the 90s or, or hundreds who, 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 who are still uh, behaving well. It would be great to look at those because 
because part of the um, uh, have you seen any evidence? I mean, part of the hypothesis that's come out around superages is that once you get to an extreme old age, then all of the uh, genetic factors, the multiple genetic factors or whatever that might contribute towards getting dementia have been expressed. So perhaps the, the onset of dementia might flatten at a, at a very high age. Is it, did you show any evidence of that? Mm, not no not yet i mean our group was pretty small <laughs> yes the, yeah so, so and we haven't yeah we haven't followed up yet whether um yeah that's also something we want to do we want to look at this group and uh, look at their follow-up uh, pet scans as well and um cognitive function i think so far there are two follow-up points for these uh, groups right and so your, your average age was 84 wasn't it 84? yeah yeah AT, wait, let's see. I have the groups. Yep, yep, 85 for the super ages. Yeah. So, so that's not an ex oh, these days it's not an extreme age, 85. So yeah. So um, so yes, there's plenty of years yet to follow up, I think. And uh, um, and longitudinal studies where you're trying to measure changes over a period of time presents a couple of challenges. One is if you're doing the scans a year apart, you're only looking at a few percent, even in unhealthy people but in healthy people any changes are going to be very small so we need mm. to improve our way we do pet scans so we need to improve the way we do uh, simply doing scans good enough to see whether someone's ad or not is probably not good enough to do research we mm. want to if we want to measure changes of one or two percent or very small changes then we need to improve the precision about how we do pet scans right that's true yeah and we need longer follow-up periods. That's uh, true as well. Absolutely true. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's see. <laughs> yeah, it's an exciting field of work, and uh, yeah, I'm glad I had the chance to to yeah to study these super agents using the ETNI data, and yeah, that's been exciting. And well, exciting. I think the other thing is, is <laughs> given the point of sharing data. Sharing mm -hmm. data is really important in research. Being able to have researchers from around the world look at. Uh, uh, look at uh, look at data is a way to improve the value of that data. We 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 contribute um, in Australia. We contribute data to the um, ADNI database through ABLE mm -hmm. ADNI, and um, and um, and uh, Europe has had a an equivalent study for uh, for ADNI as well, haven't they? Uh, um, uh, yep, AMIPAD. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so so yes, I think those kinds of studies. Uh, particularly where you have PET scans, which are measuring the things that seem to be the most predictive. We've had lots of big studies for MRI, right? Um, mm -hmm. um, but we haven't done as much in the PET world, and I think it's important that we do that. Yeah, and it would be nice to replicate these results in a different group as well, in a different cohort maybe. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, so um, that's excellent. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add in terms of... In terms of uh, of what we've discussed here? Uh -huh. No, I'm just happy about the award. I just want to mention that again. I'm happy about the award. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't have gone to the award as a person. We couldn't believe it when we got the email and yeah, we were really surprised and um, yeah, and honored of course. <laughs> and should, yeah, thank should you. Be, should be uh, very honored and uh, and um, I'm, I'm honored to be able to have you as part of the podcast. and. And, and thank you very much for, for taking past, part and uh, congratulations for, 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 for being part of this and, 
And I think this is going to seed a lot more really interesting research as we go forward. So thank you again for your, for your contribution. And if you can get back down to Australia, please do. We've got a lot of uh, <laughs> colleagues to work with here as well. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> I just have to convince my partner to, to come with me. <laughs> yeah, to well, beautiful countryside, surfing, yeah. everything else. So, surfing, yeah. koalas, <laughs> warm <laughs> weather. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Yeah, thank you very much for taking the time and talking to me. It's a pleasure. Uh, thank you very much. Um, 